Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you could have first heard this episode nine months ago if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St. Clement's each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes... Lots of other marvellous benefits and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash iron filings. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, this is it. This is Top Flight Time Machine. I am Andy Hotbody Dawson. Pow, pow, pow. I'm Sam Nifty Delaney, so what? Welcome along. It's the second part of the history box of um, Wham's video for last Christmas. <clears throat> of course, with this being Christmas when we're putting this out, uh, we recorded this in July as is traditional with Christmas um, <clears throat> pop songs. Of course, Merry Christmas, Everybody by Slater's recorded in the heat of the 1973 July. Um, this one was recorded, last Christmas was recorded in August 1984. Because mm. you've got to do it, you've got to get these done in advance. Each episode of the podcast that we record is usually done at least three months in advance so that we can uh, send it off for pre-production, remixing, um, all that kind of thing, and we prepare all the promotional material to go with each episode. So we don't just do them ad hoc on the day. There's always a big build-up before each episode's released. But I think everyone knows that, don't they? We've spoken about that before. What? That we do these in advance? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we always talk Everybody- about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're having we're having time off. That's why we're um, stocking up on Christmas stuff now. I don't know what point yeah. at Christmas you'll be listening to this, but I hope you've had a lovely time. And if you haven't, um, I hope that the listening to us chat about this video might you know cause you might some be, might comfort. Be might be yeah. some small comfort amidst the season. Mm. So um, I'm looking at. Um, a piece about the recording and the creation of Last Christmas because mm. it was said before it's a 360 degree analysis we don't just look at the video we look at what's you know in the video which is of course the song itself and it was recorded in August 1984 in London Wham had just got back from um, France where they'd been recording um, Make It Big their second album mm. So it wasn't part of those sessions, it was afterwards. And they've been recording Make it big. That's a great title, isn't yeah. it, for an album? Make it big. Yeah. First album's called Fantastic. <laughs> Second album's called Make It Big. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't fucking about, were they? Yeah. And what are you going to call Geronicus? this album? Fantastic. Yeah. Why? Because that's what it fucking is. And that's what life Next is, too. Next question. <laughs> And of course, they were 
Duran Duran in 84, they brought their album out, which they'd called, well, we're calling it Seven and the Ragged Tiger. Oh, fuck come off. on. That's, come I'll on, tell you, fucking... That wouldn't have been Le Bon. That definitely would have been old, what's his Rod. name? That would have been a Rod. Rose title. Le Bon wouldn't have stood for that. It'll be like, oh, I don't own it. That seems a little bit sort of weird. I mean, I don't understand what it means. Yeah, that's the whole point, Simon. <laughs> but I seven, like Wham but... have done an album called Fantastic. Can't we call our album Marvellous? Or Brilliant, something like that. <laughs> no, no, Simon, we can't. What about uh... Terrific? <laughs> but the thing is, there's, 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 there's seven and the Ragged Tiger... There's only five of us. <laughs> Who's the other two then? <laughs> oh, is it a competition where we get two fans to come along <laughs> and meet the tiger? And who's the bloody no, no, racket no. tiger then? You get yeah, a new pet or something? You're overthinking it, Simon. Mm. Just, just accept it for what it is. So, uh, yeah. George Michael at this point was getting ready to, let's politely say, jettison Andrew Ridgely <laughs> and go solo. Andrew originally famously wasn't very musical. He was the vibes man yeah. in Wham, really. Uh, and was I think he was regarded as the better looking of the two. Oh, yeah. Like he when you the read kind of the, the book or anything George Michael ever said. Heartthrob. When they were growing up, it was like Andrew Ridgely was the best looking and most popular kid in the school. Mm. And George was very awkward. And a bit podgy, a bit podgy, and a bit awkward and shy. Um, and but Andrew sort of took him under his wing. And mm. it's actually the story of their friendship is is absolutely beautiful. You don't hear many stories about male friendship that are quite as beautiful as this one, because mm. he sort of credited him with kind of bringing him out, bringing his talent out, bringing his confidence out giving him the confidence he needed to actually make use of this this talent he'd been born with. And therefore, George was always really, like, really generous and sort of, you know, despite the fact that, you know, uh, Andrew didn't write or I don't think really played on anything, you know, he said he was so important to, to Wham. And, and also he says that he based his whole image on his mates because his yeah. mate, they were soul boys, right, from... They were soul boys that from like just the outer, outer, outskirts of London in the 80s, going into all these soul nights in London and doing all those things that soul boys did in that era of like tinting their hair, wearing the casual clothes from the continent and stuff like that. Probably mm. even fake tanning it a bit. No socks. That was quite out there in the post-punk era. And it was all Andrew's thing. It was his old kind of aesthetic. And George just yeah. wanted to be like him. Um, but the beautiful thing about their friendship as well is that even when George moved on, there was never, there's no Barney between them. There's no kind of like, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Andrew's like all the way along, yeah, you've got to go and do this on your own at some point. Yeah. You know, I, I'm restricting you here. Do you know what I mean? It's an amazing story, I think. Well, I mean, Andrew will have realised gradually, I think, uh, as, as we find out here in 1984, George became a one-man band almost. Mm. Um, they were recording Everything She Wants, which could probably be their best song, um, with no band and no producer. And that was when um, George realised he could do it all himself. The engineer, a guy called Chris Porter, is interviewed in The Guardian about last Christmas and recording with Wham. And he says, uh, George realised he could cut out all these other people and their ideas. <laughs> yeah. So he turned into a... Like like you said, 
when we were talking off air, like a prince figure almost. Yeah. With the total, complete creative control. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> later on last Christmas, George was accompanied only by a Lindrum drum machine, a Roland Juno 60 synth, and the Christmassy sleigh bells. And Chris Porter and George Michael began recording the song in high summer. And uh, Chris Porter had adorned the studio with paper chains and Christmas lights. But he says George wasn't a musician. He had no training on instruments at all. But he insisted on doing everything himself. He was literally playing the keyboards with two or three fingers. Wow. So he sat down with all this equipment and he's just put it together. And it's a kind of a weird song because it, it, it like... It kind of sounds like someone's just done it. It's really simple. Yeah. Bing. Do you know what I mean? Bing. Bong. Bing, yeah. bing, 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 bong, bong. Yeah. It's not like, it's not someone who knows all the rules and is really musically proficient. Yeah. And knows all the tricks they can pull to bing, make bing, the song bing, sound bing, better. Bing. And then it goes, bing, 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 bing. Like, it's, yeah. yeah, you can you can picture it being played on two, three fingers, can't you? Yeah. It's just been knocked together. But, um... And there was a bit of legal grief about it because uh, it says it sounds a lot like Cool and the Gang's hit Joanna, which was from Joanna, the year before. Joanna, I, I love, love you. you. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Let's go a bit of that to it. And Barry Manilow took them to court because he said it sounded like his hit Can't Smile Without You. Can't uh, Smile Without you. you. Nah. Nah. Well... It went to court and it was thrown out. A musicologist presented 60-plus songs from the past century that all had a similar chord sequence and melody. Mm. So Manilow was fucking I think, I think, with, I think with pop music, you, you know, I've, I've read about this before, you, like, you can run out of chord sequences. Yeah. And therefore, you know, you're going to... There's going to double up. And also, people might not consciously plagiarise, but it is true that, you know... Anything that you create is usually the process of all the stuff you've consumed anyway. Do you know what I mean? That's what yeah. it's like. You consume loads I mean, of shit, Gallagher then you spew it out. I mean, Noel Gallagher was brazen about that. Noel Gallagher was yeah. brazen about that, really, wasn't he? He, was kind of, he? he didn't even try to change some of the melodies that he lifted. Yeah. And he ended up giving Gary Glitter some money for um, the first track on What's the Story, Morning Glory. Stevie Wonder. There was a load of albums got pulped or locked down in a fucking basement of a yeah. record company because he'd, he'd ripped off All Right by Stevie Wonder. One of the songs that'll be removed, didn't it? Yeah. And um, the Ruttles famously took legal action against him for, um, was it Whatever? Maybe. Can't remember. It sounded like one of their songs. And now Neil Innes from the Ruttles has mm. got a writing credit, I think, on that. Got a portion <laughs> of the publishing. Yeah, but I mean, so, you know, music's music and a lot of it is what you bring to it with your own lyrics, your own production, your own... Yeah, try saying that to court of law, mate. Yeah, I know, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying as a, you know, I'm not, I'm no, I'm no legal expert, but I'm saying as a consumer, I'm all for it. I'm all for an amalgam yeah. of other good, you know, someone who's got good taste pulling together a load of exquisite influences and then regurgitating it with their own spin. That's, uh, that's a lot of fun. That's all it is, the end of the day. I mean, even the, the Beatles fun. were just doing girl group stuff, weren't they? And then they just yeah, yeah, sort of, of evolved that. They just did covers, and then they end up doing their own version. But, you know, by their own admission, to begin with, they yeah. were just doing that. 
And I took a load of drugs and it went all weird. Yeah, oh, fucking hell. Yeah. That book, I know I keep going on about it, but every single chapter of that book, one, two, three, four, by uh, Craig Brown, is a history box waiting to happen because all yeah. of it is just some sort of curious sort of side story or subplot that went on mm. in the Beatles that you don't know. And when I wake up occasionally in the night for a piss and can't get back to sleep, I'll just read on my Kindle for a while to get back to sleep. Mm. And reading these things in the middle of the night makes it even funnier. Like the other day, I was just reading about how basically it get the book gets sort of funnier after Brian Epstein Epstein dies because when he dies, it's like the teacher's gone and no one's remembered to book a supply teacher, right? Yeah. And so yeah. all of the money and opportunities and stuff like that and maddest ideas that had been bubbling inside of them, but he had been held, you know, basically keeping some sort of fucking control over, just went mad. So the one I read the other night was one of them, I can't remember who, probably George, who seemed to be the one with the fucking maddest ideas. He he read Lord of the Rings and they literally decided that they were going to make Lord of the Rings. That was going to be the follow-up to help, right? So they'd had Cesar <laughs> Hard Day's Night and Help. They in the third film, the whole thing, because they had so much money that the, the accountants were saying, look, you have to fucking spend this money on something now. Or it's all going to the fucking government, right? So they go right. Well, we'll, we'll just we're gonna we're gonna make a new film. It's gonna be we're not gonna write an original. We're gonna make Lord of the Rings, right? And um, George, Ringo, and Paul are gonna be fucking Frodo Baggins or whatever, right? Yeah. And John Lennon is gonna be fucking Gollum, right? <laughs> It's all sorted, right? It's all sorted. They were right, like that. It's all sorted. It's all sorted, right? And then, guess who they called up, right? I think John Lennon called up Stanley Kubrick, having yeah. just seen Space Odyssey, and said, which he claimed was such a good film that he claimed in an interview, yeah, it's the best film I've ever seen. Probably going to watch it twice a week from now on. <laughs> just Forever. Full of complete... By this stage, like... John in particular, but also George, are just full of non-stop mad shit, right? And Ringo yeah. just keeps his mouth shut and he's just sort of like, fucking hell, whatever. Um, Paul's just a bit concerned at how mad they are. But they're just like both fully fucking batshit, right? Mm. And uh, yeah, he calls up Stanley Kubrick and he goes, look, it's John Lennon. Uh, and he very much pitched it like this. This is your lucky day. <laughs> first thing I'm going to say to you is, Mr. Kubrick, congratulations. I have seen A Space Odyssey and I have selected you, yes, you, to make a film of the uh, Lord of the Rings starring the Beatles. I'm fucking Gollum. <laughs> Paul's fucking Bilbo Baggins, right? And the other two are the other two little cunts. And that's what's fucking happening. So you better get over here quick because we're starting to film next week and you're directing it. And Kubrick was this like... This phone call, my friend, is the equivalent of you picking up a lottery-winning scratch card. Yeah. And, and, and Kubrick just goes, nah, you're all right. And John Lynn goes, what? Because <laughs> no yeah. one ever says no to him. He goes, what are you talking about, yeah. though? Because it's one of the most popular books ever. And you've got the most popular band ever, in it? I mean, what, what's, what could possibly go wrong? And what's he, not the love? Kubrick's just gone, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. All the best. Yeah, can't be asked. All the best. Ta-da. <laughs> so in the end, they have to fucking fish around for other things. And But in the end, what kiboshes it, they're right there on the verge of making it. And what's his name? Tolkien. He goes, yeah. 
I've changed my mind. I've never liked Whoa, the Beatles. Oh, he's like, hang on. Uh, no, 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 no. He, no, he doesn't like the Beatles. And when asked why, he said, well, when I was in Oxford, I was like, I was living in this fucking house and there was a band next door when the Beatles first came out. There was a kid, a teenager who lived in the house next door and the Beatles came out and suddenly he wanted to form a fucking band like the Beatles, like every fucking teenager did at that stage. And they thought it was easy. So him and his mates were in the fucking garage every day playing this shit music. And I kept going around and going, can you please fucking keep it down? I'm trying to write. But they fucking wouldn't. And I've always fucking hated the Beatles since then. And that is why the Beatles cannot make Lord of the Rings. True story. Yeah. And that, that's the thing about that book. It's just full of things like that. You just can't fucking believe yeah. it. I mean, maybe after we've done Melchester, we'll turn to the Beatles. Yeah. And do a... Very good opportunity to scouse accents Odyssey. as much as anything. Yeah. Jalapeño. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Jalapeño. Andrew Ridgely's take on it all. Uh, in 2017, in his book, he, he writes, we'd had a bite to eat and we're sitting together, relaxing with the television on in the background, when almost unnoticed, George disappeared upstairs for an hour or so. Just going upstairs. Probably thought he'd gone to, uh, you know, knock one off. I'm just going upstairs for an hour or so. <laughs> All right, George, yeah. Understood. Taps nose, yeah. Good lad. <laughs> Better out than in, mate. Uh, when he came back down, such was his excitement, it was as if he had discovered gold. Which, in a sense... He had. Great writing. Great writing. We went to his old room, the room in which we'd spent hours as kids recording pastiches of radio shows and jingles. So this is just sitting around his mum's house. Mm. This is 1984. I'm at their highest uh, fame almost, sitting around his mum's. Yeah, brilliant. Um, We spent hours recording pastiches of radio shows and jingles, the room where he kept a keyboard and something on which to record his sparks of inspiration. And he played me the introduction and the beguiling, wistful chorus medley to Last Christmas. It was a moment of wonder. George had performed musical alchemy, distilling the essence of Christmas into music. Adding a lyric which told the tale of betrayed love was a masterstroke. And as he did so often, he touched hearts. Yeah, um, well, he did touch hearts. I mean, yeah, obviously not everyone listening is going to like this song. We like it, but you've got to fucking accept that he touched hearts, not just with the, um, obviously the song is beautiful and it did capture the essence of Christmas to my mind, but also mm. it's just the uh, the lyrics are actually very powerful. He's right. You know, I love it mm. when he goes, what is it? A face of a lover with a fire in his heart, a man undercover, but you tore yeah. him apart. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I don't even really know what that means, but it's very powerful <clears throat> nonetheless, isn't it? But I mean, the chorus itself, last Christmas I gave you my heart, the very next day you gave it away. This year, to save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. Yeah. Fucking hell. That's big, big stuff. And there, and the story yeah. as told in the video is that he, I'm just reading it, it's like the the model who plays his, who plays this girl that he's singing about is uh, called Kathy Hill. And um, there's flashbacks. They're all up a mountain in Switzerland having a, like a wondrous time, all mates together. No kids, whether they've mm. not had kids yet or they've left them behind. It's like now you watch it through... Fret- well, when we were kids, we watched it and we thought, that's what it's like being a grown-up. That's what it'll be like yeah. when I'm a grown-up. When it comes to Christmas, I'll be in a really cool Jeep driving up a fucking mountain to a log cabin with all my fucking mates and all these mm. thick girls, and we just have a fucking right good time. And, and we'll uh, get to play in the snow. Yeah, like we'll, play, we'll play in the snow. It'll be brilliant. And then you get to our age and you look at it and you think, ah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Up a mountain with that. Yeah, I find myself thinking, but what would you do with the kids? Nah, they'd have to stay around at my mum's, I suppose. But even then, <laughs> yeah. even then we've got this new kitten. Uh, someone's <laughs> going to have to come around and feed that every day. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I can only totally. think about logistics when I see people having this kind of carefree fun, mate. Yeah, you've got no panic. You've got Oscar to think about. You're like, well, I have to put Oscar yeah. back into the dog hotel. That's not cheap. And uh, yeah. each time he comes back, slightly more needy. So you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, but exactly they're right. having this great time, and then they do flashbacks to the previous year. And what I didn't realize until I read the Wikipedia about the plot of this video, because I've seen it a million times, but. I'd never really picked up on the nuances beyond the fact that he keeps giving this girl very meaningful looks across the table in the candlelight. And um, <laughs> and uh, it turns out it's all to do with the brooch. Have you read about this? Yeah. There's a brooch that's changed hands. And Well, I've watched the video yeah. before we start recording this, so yeah. Yeah, no, but I've seen thing. it, but I didn't really... I've never... If you'd said, I must have seen this video like as more than any other video. Yeah, you're focusing on the jeeps and the ski lift and the snow. I never... If you'd said, excited. do you know there is a, a brooch in this video? I'd be like, I, yeah. no, I haven't got a fuck... No, there is no what, brooch. What, mate? A fucking what? What's that? <laughs> Oh, it's one of them badges, but for Doris's. It's a Doris badge. Nah, I don't think there's one of them in it, mate. (laughs) But what's weird is a brooch is just for Doris's, isn't it? You don't have a man in a brooch. You have a man in a badge, but not a brooch. Like you might have a man, like you might have a badge of your football team, or you might have a madness badge, mightn't you? Or support the miners, something like that. Support, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but you C&D. know, Maggie, 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 out, out, out. That's all right. Yeah. But a brooch, no. But in this, yeah, because George, in the flashback, gave the Doris a brooch the year before. Mm-hmm. That's like I gave you my heart, and also a brooch, mm-hmm. right? And then this year, she's fucking giving it to Andrew. She's regifted it. Andrew's wearing it, but, but he's not a Doris. That's what I don't get. I mean, I'm a whatever, wear whatever you feel like, but it's just, it would have been strange to me. I'm like, why is there a geezer wearing a brooch? It would, doesn't make sense somehow. Thing is, though, boy, George used to wear big brooches, I think, around that time, but yeah. he was dressed as a Doris when he did it. But he was, yeah, that was his vibe, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't yeah. Andrew's vibe. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. 
And by the way, anyone who wants to wear... I mean, I, I've, maybe I'll wear a fucking brooch. They're good, aren't they? They're shiny and bejeweled. And what's not to like about that? Maybe we'll buy each other brooches for Christmas. The best bit in this video is when... Doesn't he... Well, hang on. We're going to go oh, okay. through go on, bit yeah. by bit. All right. not, <laughs> we've got three episodes to do okay. with this. Right. Um, we will look at the video now, shall we? Yeah. Shall we start the video? Yeah. Begin. Okay. All right. I mean, I haven't got the sound on because obviously it'll pick up and... It, I mean, it begins with a great tracking shot of the mountains, wherever mm. the fuck it is. Switzerland, apparently. Um, it's in Switzerland, yeah. That could only be Switzerland, can't it? When you look at it. I you guess, Because yeah. you just think Toblerone. It's Toblerone-shaped mountains. Yeah. yeah. It's got to be Switzerland. Uh, some nice pine trees there. The, the foot of the mountains. Loads of snow. Fuck loads of snow. Yeah. You ever been on a skiing holiday? So. I went on a press trip snowboarding once. Right. Um, no, I must have talked about it on the pod before because it was quite eventful. I was quite young. I got a freebie trip up a mountain in um, right. Andorra. Fucking hell. Which is that little... You only know Andorra because it's the sort of team you beat 6-0 when you play them yeah. in qualifiers. Part of Spain, isn't it? Well, it's no, it's its own independent well, next, state. Next to... But it's yeah. like in the mountains right between... It's the perineum between France and Spain in the Alps. Right, yeah. And it's its own independent state. And I went up there and they said, you got a snowboard. And I hadn't ever been up a mountain before, but they gave me all the gear. And I couldn't yeah. be bothered going to the lesson. And I fell in with Obviously. some fucking old hack who was about 15, 20 years older than me. It was a right old soak from like the Daily Mail. Or maybe it was the Express, I can't remember. John Pigface. And he's gone, yeah, it was like that. But he was quite posh Pigface. And he was like, that. Ah. And I said, he goes, where are you going? I said, I can't go. We've got to go up this mountain. They say we've got to do snowboard lessons. Right, because it was the PRs around the thing. He went, ah, oh, fuck that. Come on, let's go and get a drink. They do hot chocolates with brandy in first thing in the fucking morning. So I went, oh, all right. So I, like, so I went and I had this fucking hot chocolate with brandy in with John Pigface. And I, he goes, ah, right. Are you going to use this fucking thing? And I said, oh, I've got it because I've got to write about it in the magazine, right? I was working at Men's Health. And they said, you've got to go on this trip and when you come back, you write it up. So he said, well, I wouldn't go on the lesson. It's fucking boring. It's a waste of the day. Come on, we'll just go down that mountain over there. I was pissed already. It was like 10 a.m., right? <laughs> and so we clip on our fucking snowboards. I've <coughs> never been in a mountain situation before, right? Yeah. I don't think this cunt had either, but he was mental. And he's going, he's like like this, tally-ho! And he's just fucking taken off down this fucking slope on a snowboard. Fucking hell. So I just thought, fuck it, because I was pissed. It was first in the morning. I've just fucking gone after him. And it was, people were shouting at us because we're going fucking down. We're getting, we're smashing into people, getting in people's way. I don't know what the fuck I'm, I don't know how to stop and I don't know how to change direction. And I just yeah. fell on my ass. And then you get, there's people fucking skiing and snowboarding past you, practically taking your head off. It's absolute chaos, fucking mate. Fucking hell. And in the end, I'm halfway down. There was no climbing back up. So I had to keep going down. But what it was was 10 yards full, 10 yards full, 10 yards full. Hope no one fucking smashes your head off when they're coming down right. 100 miles behind you. Anyway, they found out what I'd done, the PRs and the instructors, and I, I got a dressing down. And so did John Pigface, but of course he didn't give a flying fuck. Yeah, he, he was just, just like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. What are you like, going to do, oh. send me home? I was like, oh, sorry, he told me to do it, and I had a load of brandy. 
Apple went like DZ. Well, I got stuck. I was stuck halfway up the mountain. I was crying. Right. And they're going, well, you know, it's very dangerous. And it contravenes several rules and strict laws. And he got out. He's like, oh, fuck your fucking rules. Come on, Sam. Don't listen to them. Let's go and get some more brandy on expenses. <laughs> he was the one who came out with the line to me. He goes, he, t- he was full of bullshit stories about you meet these journalists sometimes and like they're only in the profession, 100% in it for free trips, right? Which probably doesn't happen as much anymore. But in those days, it was free trip, free trip, free trip. I have my share of free trips over the years, but some of them are professional liggers, right? Mm. And this yeah, guy yeah. was the first proper professional ligger I ever met. And all mm. he had was stories about the things he'd ligged. And when he, he said, oh, I, I did this for that company and we went to, I don't know, the Bahamas or something. And, I, you know, if you asked him what it was like, he would his only answer would be a list of the three things he got and what their monetary value were. <laughs> yeah. Right? There was nothing about the experience, if it was enjoyable. Yeah. It was like, well, the flights what alone. I checked it out. The flights alone. Business class. Would have cost at least four grand each way. So straight away, that's eight grand. Right, the hotel I looked, and even the cheapest deals you could have got at the hotel was two hundred a night. Right, and I'm like, all right, yeah, but what did you do when you were there? And he he, he was full of all these stories, and he was also Randy. full of far-fetched stories of sexual conquests on these trips God. as well. Right, which he thought I was fucking easy prey because he's like, this is look at this fucking whippersnapper. Right, mm. he's he's new to the game. I'm gonna lie to this this child about the amount of women that I fucked on trips and that'll really impress him. You think I'm like, great? I was like, yeah, all right, mate. I didn't fucking buy it for a minute, but he did come out with the yeah. line, so I fucked her on expenses. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, mate, what does that even mean? And he just carried on. The guy didn't explain it. <laughs> I've always remembered that. Oh, I fucked Christ. her on expenses. Yeah, that was a Dread wild be dead trip. Now? Huh? Do you reckon he'll be dead now? Yeah, he'll be well dead. Can't even remember his name or anything. And there was another lad who was a bit closer to my age and he worked on the Sun's travel desk. And it's quite... Andorra is quite, from my experience there, is not like your kind of posh, oh, there's Roger Moore, right? Mm. Val Dizier or whatever, where the posh people go. It was. It struck me as the Torremolinos of skiing, right? <laughs> Okay, yeah. That that was the vibe. I think it's one of the cheaper yeah. places you can go skiing. And uh, so there was a big fucking party in a club one night and the geezer who's like the cheesy DJ has clocked on that we're, jour- that we're a bunch of journalists and that one of them is like fucking deputy sub-editor on the travel desk in, in the, mm-hmm. on the Sun, but not even in the Sun's London office, in their Scotland office, right? But to this geezer in this club, that's a fucking huge deal that there's a sun journalist there, right? So he's announced <laughs> it. And this, I remember this lad, he was more like me. He was younger and not not fucking John Pigface at all. Yeah. And we got on right. But he said that there was, a, there was a raffle and the first prize was a pair of skis. And when someone won it, the DJ announced this lad who was quite shy, said, we are honoured to have one of the senior editors from the Sun newspaper here. And everyone in the club, they were all like pissed up. Like they were like, Wah! like he's a celebrity, right? <laughs> and this kid hell. gets dragged up on stage to present the skis to the winner. And uh, 
he got fucking swamped by Doris's afterwards. Like, unbelievable. Wow. And he wasn't interested. But, of course, John Pigface, because he had a girlfriend. John Pigface and I had a girlfriend as well. And we're like, ah, oh, this is like... And John Pigface like, fill your boots, fellas. <laughs> this is the opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> and we're like, nah, mate. We're all right, thanks. We'll leave you to it. Yeah. Good luck. So the... <laughs> Did the, the girls think they were going to get, like, scouted for page three then or something? I mean, he was quite a good-looking lad, if I remember rightly, so that might play a part. Right. But they just seemed to, the, to sort of, like... I suppose in those days as well, The Sun was such a massive newspaper. It was like... You, they treated him like he was a celebrity. I'm the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the editorial assistant at Men's Health. Have you heard of Men's Health? It's a glossy <laughs> magazine about doing sit-ups. Does that impress <laughs> you too? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> You could sit on my lap. <laughs> There's no room left on his. Brilliant. Uh, I will leave it there, I think. Okay. We'll get deeper into the video next time. Uh, the Jeep is about to arrive. And, uh, thanks for listening, I guess. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if you're still with us on this. Uh, goodbye. All the best. Bye-bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.